Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure uh, to be here. Uh, in fact, this is really a second home. I think I've preached more in Redeemer than any other church uh, in Presbytery uh, since uh, we moved back up uh, from Florida. So it's always a delight to worship uh, with you all. And if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 13. We'll be looking at uh, verses uh, 1 through 5. We'll be focusing on verse 4. And Deuteronomy is a covenant rule doc, uh, a covenant renewal document that Moses and Israel made with the Lord prior before they went into the promised land. If you remember, in Exodus, they had the Ten Commandments. They sinned. The generation uh, died. They're getting ready to enter. So it's a covenant renewal document. And Moses is reminding the people of a number of things, and that's what we'll look at this morning. So hear the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. And Moses tells us, If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And let's... Go ahead and pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that we would apply it to our lives. Lord, the principles from the Old Testament that are revealed in the New Testament that we can learn and walk with you. And we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Follow me and we shall overcome the surrounding nations. Follow me, and we shall establish an empire like our forefathers that will last for a thousand years. In reality, follow me, and I will lead you to ruin. Who might you think that I'm talking about? Well, from some of you historians, I think of Hitler and the Nazi regime. And the Encyclopedia Britannica talks about the Third Reich, which what they call themselves was established from January 1933 to May of 1945. And they saw themselves as a successor to the early medieval uh, and late Holy Roman Empire, which was from uh, 800 to 1806, about 1,000 years. The German Empire from 1871 to 1918. But the 1,000 year reign of Hitler and the Nazis lasted just 12 years with the cost of over 25 million lives. Now, as dangerous as dictators and totalitarians are, Moses points to an even more important person who is very dangerous, that of a false teacher who seeks to turn you away from the Lord, from the true God. And while dictators can kill the body, the teaching of false prophets can lead to spiritual death and eternal damnation for those who are led astray. Again, one modern example from the 70s is uh, Jim Jones. Uh, some of you folks too young remember him. But he led his followers to the jungles of, of, of Guyana. 
He was an American preacher, a faith healer. He became a cult leader. He proclaimed himself as the Messiah of the People's Temple. And he led over 900 people in mass suicide as they drank a cyanide-laced punch. In fact, if you've heard the term drinking the Kool-Aid, it comes from that horrific event. So this morning, I want to make some comments. Uh, focus on this passage. Focus on verse 4, then apply it to Christians today. And in this passage, Moses warns against false teachers who can perform miracles but tell others to turn away from the true God and follow after false gods. And by the way, the performing of miracles and, um, is not a sign that they represent the true God. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. And Pharaoh's wise men, his magicians and his sorcerers, they too perform miracles with their secret arts. What Moses says is evaluate what the teachers say by the word of God. We heard a little bit about uh, that this morning when uh, the passage read from, uh, from 1 John. And so we evaluate what they say. Uh, and Moses tells us three things here, and we'll focus on the second thing in just a minute. But he says, don't listen to the false teacher. Continue to follow after the Lord. And thirdly, put the false teacher to death because he encouraged rebellion against Yahweh who delivered them from Egypt. He was telling them to violate the first commandment and was a matter of critical importance for Israel in their covenant with the Lord. By the way, this purging this evil that it talks about in verse 5 is a reference that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians when he tells the people to discipline that man who's a member of their congregation who is involved in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. He says, purge the evil from among yourselves. So let's look at verse 4 as we talk about allegiance to God. We'll look at inward allegiance and outward allegiance as well. They both overlap, but one must proceed from the other. The Pharisees, by the way, of Jesus' day, they excelled at the external allegiance, but they are condemned by Jesus for the hypocrisy. Again, he writes, or he says in Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So they had the exterior, but not the interior. And so the principle this morning that I want us to reflect upon is true allegiance to God comes from within. It flows from the heart. So we'll focus upon verse 4 here. I could preach three sermons on this passage, but I only have time for one. Uh, so we'll look at, at verse 4. And so he says, You shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear Him, and keep His commandments, and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him, and hold fast to Him. And we'll be looking at Deuteronomy, some passages very similar in Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 11. But what's interesting is that in this passage, it's written this way in the ESV and some of the other translations for the ease of reading. But here's actually what it says in the Hebrew. And you see the emphasis, it says, After the Lord your God you shall walk, and Him you shall fear, and His commandments you shall keep, and His voice you shall obey, and Him you shall serve, and to Him you shall hold fast. And so that's the focus is on the Lord. And so the first point as we, took, as we look at inward allegiance is follow the Lord. It speaks of commitment. 
In fact, the New American Standard uses the, uh, the translation, follow the Lord, but the word is walk. And he says, in the Hebrew says, after the Lord your God, you shall walk. And note the emphasis of the passage. It is on the Lord. He should be our focus. He is the one that we should be focusing upon, walking after. Again, Israel's making a covenant, uh, renewing the covenant with the Lord to follow after him. They did not do well in the wilderness, which is why they died off, spent 40 years wandering around, were getting ready to enter the promised land. And so it's very important. Now, what does walk mean? I know uh, pastors before have talked about that, but figuratively it refers to the moral and, uh, and religious life that one is supposed to lead. Um, now, another lexicon takes the other side. You see this in verse 2 where it talks about going after and that is the word walk uh, as well. And one lexicon says this, apostasy is described as going after other false gods. Again in verse 2 of uh, chapter 13, the truly pious follow God's leading in all that they do, that is they keep their commands. And so as we talk about uh, following the Lord, it speaks of commitment to Him, a wholehearted commitment to Him. And it leads to conduct. Again, one really leads to the other, but it talks about conduct. And again, in Deuteronomy 11, 22 and 23, he says, Be careful to do all this commandment that I command you. And one of them is walking in all his ways. Well, I ask myself, what does it mean to walk in his ways? It is required, by the way, again, Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13 uh, says this. And oh, by the way, many people say, I want to do what the will of God is. And they say, well, what is the will of God? What do the passages say? 1 Thessalonians says, and this is the will of God, and it lists a number of things. Here, Moses tells us what God requires. So it's something that, if you're a teacher trying to prepare your class for uh, an exam, would kind of knock on uh, the wood there on the floor. He says, this is what God requires. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. In this passage in Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy 10, it's very similar to Deuteronomy 13.4. And so it is required. But what are the ways of God? Well, I would tell you to begin with, it is not our way. What does Isaiah say in Isaiah 55.8? He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So how do we know what the ways of the Lord are? We look at what Scripture says throughout the Old Testament. But also I found um, in the New Testament, uh, John writes in Revelation 15.3, says, Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And so we think of truth, righteousness, holiness. Those are the way of God. They describe His character, but also His conduct, which is something that we should be reflecting as well. Righteousness, meeting the standards of what is right and just, morally as well, not just externally. Holiness, worthy of worship, reverence. And we are set apart as followers of Jesus, set apart for service to the Lord. So what does it mean to follow the Lord? How do we do that? Um, again, Kay and I have eight grandkids. And when they're all together, we call it blessed chaos. Um, but have you ever watched kids play follow the leader? 
Sometimes you see adults do that as well. But what's the point of following the leader? The leader does certain things, and the other people have to, the children have to imitate what that leader does. And if they don't follow what the leader does, what happens? They're out of the game. They have lost. And so that's not a problem if the leader is easy to follow. But if the leader is difficult to follow, everybody loses. What we have for us is we have a God who wants us to follow Him. Again, the writer to Proverbs says this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, again, walking in His ways, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. That word for paths is also the word for way. And so he wants to make our path straight. He does not want us to stray. He says in Joshua, he says in Deuteronomy, don't stray to the left, don't stay straight to the right. But he makes our path straight when we follow him, when we walk in our ways, when we are committed to him to follow him. And if we want to follow God the Father, who do we need to follow? I think Ken mentioned it this morning as he was quoting from John 14, 6. We need to follow the Son. What does Jesus say? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We follow Jesus, by the way, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it in the flesh. We cannot do it by our own ability. And Paul tells us this in Galatians 5. In 5.16, he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. A few verses later, in verse 25, he says this, If we live by the Spirit, and this is ESV, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And some translations will say, let us also walk by the Spirit. It's a different word from verse 13, uh, from verse uh, 16, verse 15. I have my glasses, a little bit blurry there. But the idea is we walk in line. That's what it says in verse 25. We walk in line is we follow. That's what the lexicon says. Be in line with, follow the Spirit. In order to follow Jesus, we have to have faith in Him. And that enables us by His Spirit to walk with the Lord and to follow Him. And so the first part of inward allegiance is following the Lord or walking with Him, walking in His ways. The second one, and I'm not going in all the order of this passage here. But the second one is fearing Him. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Again, the passage says, Him you shall fear. And many people think it means just being afraid. That's part of it. But that misses the emphasis of this word. Because it has the idea of reverence. has the idea of honor and respect. And yes, there is that element of fear. When people say the glory of God, what do they do? They fall down on their face because they are afraid. They're terrified as they are exposed to the glory of God. But the idea of fear is reverence, honor, respect. It's required by God. Again, uh, 10, 12, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. It is required. It is expected of us. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, we are told in Proverbs uh, 1, 7. But some people think, that's just the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. The Old Testament is the God of wrath. The New Testament is the God of love. By the way, Deuteronomy is actually called the love book of the Old Testament. 
because that theme comes out time and time again of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And we'll see that in some of these passages here. And so we have the idea, it's not just in the Old Testament. Peter says, fear God in 2 Peter 2.17. And the angel in Revelation 4.7 says this, fear God, give Him glory, and worship Him. It's an attitude that we have. It really comes from within a relationship with the Lord. Again, Moses in Deuteronomy 5.29, and this is the Lord speaking, says this, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments. Why? That it might go well with them and their descendants forever. A tremendous promise from the Lord in this. And what we're talking about is a right relationship with the Lord. And it comes from the heart, the sphere. And it leads to obedience. It leads uh, to love. How does it lead to obedience? Israel learned it. Again, Moses in Deuteronomy 4.10 says this, The Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my word, so that, they, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And what we see here from the Scriptures through the Word of God Parents learn to fear the Lord, and what are they supposed to do? Teach their children. Are we doing that? Are we teaching our children? Or those of you who may be more mature, are you teaching your grandchildren? Are you helping your kids teach their children? It was interesting and somewhat sad as when Kay and I were stationed in Okinawa, I was in charge of the, of, of the chapel at Fatema. And some of the young mothers did not understand the concept of fear of the Lord. And they said, I do not want to teach my child to fear the Lord. What they thought it meant was to be afraid. Should we be afraid of the Lord? Hebrews 10.31 is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if you're falling under His hands for judgment. That's what they thought that it meant. They did not want to teach their children and they are missing the blessing that the Lord lays out for us. They missed the concept that it is uh, reverence, that is honor and respect. And again, they were thinking, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. It is in the New Testament as well. And so they were not teaching their children what the children needed to know. So Moses tells us from the Lord, parents, adults, they learn it and they teach their children. What will our children learn from us? What will our grandchildren learn for us? Learn from us. And so we need to fear him, and it stems out of love. As we talk about inward allegiance, the last thing is to hold fast or cling to him. Uh, again, depending on the translation that you have, some are to cling or to cleave to. And the lexicon says this idea of clinging to him uh, is used figuratively of loyalty and affection. And again, Deuteronomy 11.22 talks about holding fast. And we will do this if it is a habit. And it suggests intimacy, this holding fast, this clinging. It's used uh, often to describe that of a man and a woman, cleaving to each other, clinging to each other. It's used of Ruth and Naomi. It's used of the people and the king. But I think also of like a child and a parent. I'm sure you've all have seen this or experienced this if you're a parent or a grandparent. 
What happens when a young child is near the parent or grandparent and they see somebody that they don't know who may be intimidating? What do they do? Oftentimes you see them, they kind of go behind mom or dad or grandmom or granddad, whatever you call them, and they cling to that leg. And they hold on, they kind of peek out from behind, looking at them. What are they looking for? What are they getting? Protection, security, and love. And this is why it's a mental attitude, because how do we cling to the Lord? He is a spirit, but he is also a person. And so it's a mental attitude, but it also leads to other actions as well. And so we cling to the Lord out of love is what it says. Are you clinging to the Lord? Do your kids see you clinging to the Lord or your grandkids? And it is all based on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, we go to the Father through the Son. And without the Son, we cannot get to the Father. That is part of the false gospel that is out there. Oh, there are many ways to the Lord. There are many ways to God. Have you heard that? And if you just do good, and there's that social gospel, which sure there's some elements, good elements of that, but if it does not lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's a false gospel, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So we talk about inward allegiance, following or walking with the Lord. Fearing Him, respect, honor, clinging to Him, another mental attitude, that then leads to the outward allegiance. And again, these are all closely related. So the first thing it says is keep His commandments. Again, in this passage it says, and His commandments you shall keep. By the way, not a surprise as we look at Hebrews, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 10. It is one of the things that is required. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? He lists a number of things. Um, but he says, And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. The idea is to be careful to keep them. We see in Deuteronomy 11.22, he uses the same form twice to really intensify. Be careful to keep these commandments. The lexicon says that this word keep expresses the careful attention to be paid to the obligations of a covenant, to laws and statutes. And this is one of the most frequent uses of this verb. And sometimes the expression to do them is appended to it. And Proverbs 4.21 says that we need to keep the commandments in our heart. Remember the idea is the outward flows from the inward. The true outward flows from the inward. Um, we're to be diligent to keep them from Deuteronomy 6.17 and to teach them to our children. That's what it says in Deuteronomy um, uh, chapter 6, verses uh, 6 and 7. It speaks of obedience, idea of keeping. It speaks of obedience. Some translations will translate it that way depending upon the other words that are in, in the verse. And so we are to keep the commandments and statutes for our good. And by the way, this is not just an Old Testament thing. We show our love by our obedience. What does Jesus tell us in John 14? Uh, in John 14, uh, verse uh, 15 and 21, verse 15, he says this, If you love me, you will, here's that word, keep my commandments. He says in verse 21, Whoever has my commandments, and here's that word again, keeps them, 
He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The outcome of obedience is blessing. The outcome of disobedience was curses. Again, Deuteronomy was a covenant rule document, renewal document, and the Lord laid out, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed, and I will send you into exile. And what happened to Israel? They were sent into exile because they did not obey the Lord. They worshiped other gods, but the Lord in His faithfulness brought them back. And in Christ, He talks about the new covenant that we have. And in Christ, we can walk with the Lord through faith in Him because what does He do? Christ does what we cannot do. He kept the law perfectly, which we cannot do. And he paid the penalty for our sins that we deserve, that he did not deserve. And all this comes through faith. But yes, by the way, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But it flows from love. The inner then goes with the outer as well. How can we keep them if we don't know them? Again, when I was a chaplain on the Abraham Lincoln had a young gal. She definitely wanted to be a mother. So she was thinking about getting pregnant out of wedlock. And she was a professing believer. And I said, do you know what the Lord says about what you want to do? She didn't have a clue. She hadn't been instructed in what the Word of God says. So I explained that to her and her eyes got wide open. That was kind of interfering. The Word of God was kind of interfering with her plans of what she wanted to do. But blessing when we obey, problems when we don't. So how can we keep them if we don't know them? When I was a midshipman at the academy, when I was a pilot here stationed at Oceania, I was involved with the navigators, and they have what they call the hand illustration. Anybody familiar with the hand illustration? Talking about how to get the Word of God into your life. Talks about the hand, starting with the pinky. The idea is that we um, hear the Word of God, we read the Word of God, we study the Word of God, we memorize the Word of God, and then it talks about the thumb, which is so important, we meditate on the Word of God. And without the thumb, you really can't grasp anything. And it is through this that we get the Word of God from our head into our heart. Can you think of an example of people who knew the Word of God but didn't obey it? The Pharisees. Jesus condemned them time and time again. They knew the word, but did not know the Lord. And so we, um, we need to do it that way to, to keep it. So we keep his commandments. And then the second thing is it talks about hearing or listening to his voice. This also speaks of obedience. Again, the lexicon says this, that it has the basic meaning of hear, but in certain contexts, it has the word obey. In fact, again, the New American Standard would say, listen to his voice. Other ones say, obey his voice, because that is the intent of the passage here. Yeah. And the voice here is the word of God, is the voice of God. That is his word that he talks about. And it shows that we know the Lord. What does Jesus say in John 10 as he talks about the shepherd and the sheep? The sheep know him. They know his voice. And they follow him. 
the sheep that don't know him, they don't follow him. So we have to have that personal relationship with the Lord. That's what it speaks of. Do we have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If we don't, we will not recognize him and he will walk away. Again, I think back to my time when I was in high school. I was active in the Episcopal Church. I was an acolyte or an altar boy, sort of thing like that. And I thought I knew the Lord. Why? Because I really wasn't a bad guy. I, I figured I'm probably 90, 95% uh, good in keeping uh, the things of the Lord. What I didn't realize is that the Lord wants 100% perfection. And it wasn't until I heard the gospel that is in Jesus Christ that my sins are saved. If I break the law in just one point, what does James say? You're guilty of it all. So we need to hear this. We need to listen to the word. And we listen obediently through his word. Again, it's emphatic here. Um, in Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, 13, it says, listen obediently. Two forms of the word listen are used to give this emphasis here. Um, same thing for Deuteronomy uh, 12, 28, again, where it says, be careful to obey. New American Standard says, listen um, to all the words that I command you, that it may go well with you and your children forever. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. And so we listen. And so we obey. Are we attentive? Are we spending time with the Lord? Again, I think Ken made a reference to it. Do we have that quiet time where it's just us and the Lord, where we listen to His voice through the Word of God? And that can become very, very difficult as life gets exceedingly busy. I know, particularly back when I was a pilot uh, flying off carriers, we would work 18-hour days, and it was hard, and the schedule would change. When do I find time with the Lord? Well, they had to let me sleep sometime. So normally before I went to bed is when I would try to spend time and have my devotions uh, with the Lord. Now that I'm older, a little bit steadier there, I try to get up early in the morning. But are you spending time? And that, by the way, does not earn salvation, but it's a chance to hear His voice through His Word to see what does He say. It's a blessing if we listen and obey and a curse according to Deuteronomy if we do not. The last thing here for outward uh, allegiance is serving Him. Again, the Hebrew says in this verse, Him you shall serve. Again, the emphasis is upon the Lord. It has the idea of giving homage and obedience to God. And in some contexts, the word serve is translated as worship. It is something that we should do with gladness. It should be a privilege to serve the Lord. Do we have this attitude? Do we do it joyously? Again, Moses through the Lord, or the Lord through Moses, wants to make sure that we know that it's from the heart as we serve Him. Deuteronomy 11.13 says this, And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God, there's the inner, and to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Then He says that He's going to bless them. And so this obedience to serving begins with love, inner, then goes to the outer. Do we love the Lord? And He says we serve with all of our heart and with all of our soul. We see that throughout Scripture. We see it numerous times um, in Deuteronomy. And again, we see in Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, he says, What does the Lord require of you? Again, he talks about loving him, 
to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The Lord wants us to understand that obedience, that serving, it all comes from the heart. And that speaks of a personal relationship. It is required, it's command, but it's also a measure of love. And we do it for the glory of God. And when we serve others, we are also serving the Lord. Paul writes in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so as we serve others, joyously we also serve the Lord. So, as we look at this, we talk about inward allegiance. Are we following the Lord? Are we walking after Him? Do we fear Him, respect, honor? Do we cling to Him? Do we hold fast to Him? Do we keep His commandments out of love? Do we listen to His voice and respond? Do we serve Him? Uh, I was struck by one of the commentators on this passage who writes this to tell us how this applies to us today. And he says this, Transferring the matter to a Christian context, the clearest criterion of what constitutes false or potentially idolatrous teaching from religious leaders, whether claiming prophetic gifts or not, whether producing signs and wonders or not, is how their teaching relates to the central truth of the saving gospel. For Israel, that was a story of the Exodus. Remember, they would celebrate Passover to remember the Exodus. And he goes on here. For Christians, it is a story of the cross. For both, it is a matter of the essential priority of God's grace and the good news of God's historical redemption. And that's what the, old scripture, that's what the whole Old Testament does. These the New Testament. It's a history of God's redemption for us. He goes on here. To distort these essentials or to lead people away from them into figments of human speculation is culpably idolatrous. As this leaves... As this ancient text declares, Paul also was concerned about the teaching of false gospels. Why? A person's salvation is at stake. And there are a lot of churches out there that are preaching the gospel. And what you hear really is a lie of Satan. Did God really say that? Does God really mean what he says? Yes. Here's the warning from Paul in, in Galatians 1, 6-9, and he writes this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's what Moses is warning about in this passage. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel Contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Oh, that's a strong word that Paul uses. But he doesn't stop there. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Again, that word is used in a negative sense as someone who's delivered over to divine wrath, the curse, or one accursed. 
It's used in the Greek Old Testament for somebody that's devoted or something that's devoted to destruction or an accursed thing. And we really need to keep the mindset of what we are told um, or, what Matt, or what Luke tells us in Acts. He tells us what the Brian Jews who evaluated Paul and Silas said. And he, and he said, um, let's see if I can find it here. He says, now these Jews were noble than those of Thessalonica, for they received the word of thought, even examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's what we do. You do not fall for the false teachers, even though they may be great people and can do wondrous things, does it comport with what the scriptures say? And so this morning, as we think through this, this speaks of an intimate relationship with the Lord. God is the focus of this verse. He is the reason for our being. And to keep from being led astray, we need to know the Lord and His Word. In particular, we need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Does our life reflect these requirements? And is the relationship real or theoretical? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word in Deuteronomy and how it applies to us even today. I pray, Lord, that we would walk after You with all of our heart, soul, and mind that we would love you with all of our heart. And we thank you for Jesus Christ who did what we could not do is he kept your law perfectly and took the penalty of sin that we deserve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.